a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Really, I'm glad you could join us today. I'm going to lead off with dessert. You ever do that as a kid, right? You got a plate full of broccoli and potatoes and meatloaf, but boy, there's dessert. And you know, Mom, if it's okay with you, I'm going to start with the dessert. I feel like that's what I'm going to do today because I'm going to dive right into what I think may be one of the best takes that I have seen on being informed. And I'm guessing that the only reason you would even investigate a program like this, you would even click on it just to just to see, is he really as weird as, as, as people have been saying, is, is because you're trying to be better informed. Truth be told, I, I am doing my best to try to encourage people to be better informed, but I love the take that T.K. Coleman from the Foundation for Economic Education recently posted. I think he posted this on Facebook yesterday. Now, it starts with, with a, a meme. The meme says, people be like, but bro, you have to care. You can't just not care, bro. You need to, st- you need to know about all the things in order to be informed, bro. You're going to lose if you don't keep up with the news, bro. To which TK responds, miss me with that. The information that matters the most ain't being thrown in your face and shoved down your throat. Think about that one for just a second. He actually goes into some detail on this. He says, we can only create something new by our willingness to focus on things that will never make the news. William Carlos Williams wrote, it is difficult to get the news from poems, yet men die miserably every day for lack of what is found there. Now, T.K. Coleman says people are depressed, they're empty, lonely, torn apart, and unhealthy in a myriad of ways, Yet they can make us feel content with our crappy lives because, hey, at least I'm informed. I watched the news. He says when you feel guilty, ashamed, and irresponsible for not watching the news, you're right where they want you to be. The best way to manipulate people isn't by giving them some bad information, but by controlling their definition of what it means to be informed. And he says once people have a bad concept of what it means to be informed, they'll spend their lives feeding bad information to themselves. So social engineering isn't just about controlling the content of your beliefs. It's about controlling the dynamics and the direction of how you focus your attention. You can have informed opinions, but still be a sheep at the level of what you spend most of your time thinking about. Now, he clarifies here. He says, look, I don't hate the news and I I don't hate you for watching the news. It's good to stay informed. But he says it's better, however, to stay in control of your definition for what it means to be informed. You see that distinction? That's really powerful stuff. And it's maybe it was maybe it's a message that that's more meant for me than anybody else. But I I totally get it. It's it's so simple to get caught up in the notion that well, you know, if I'm not watching the news, if I'm not paying attention, if I didn't read the newspaper today, I can't say that I'm informed. But when you stop and break it down and you realize, okay, anything that's coming at you, whether it be from an online news source or whether it be from a television network or on the radio or, you know, in the newspaper, assuming there are still some newspapers out there in publication, anything that you see 
is there because someone else chose, this is important enough, we're going to go ahead and report on it. In other words, the source of your information is largely determining this matters and that doesn't. Now, I've tried to make the case many times over the years. What, what keeps us in the dark isn't so much that we're being told big, bold lies, you know, that are just so obvious. Yes, the moon is made of green cheese, Brian. No, it's true. It's the stuff that isn't talked about. It's the fact that, you know, I'll give you a perfect example of this. The way that the media and social media, the, the news media and social media, colluded prior to the 2020 election to silence any stories, to silence any information they could about Hunter Biden's laptop. And, and keep in mind, <laughs> excuse me, it's not just that Hunter Biden, you know, was, was engaged in some, you know, pretty degenerate stuff. That's interesting, but that's, that's not what really mattered. What mattered is there was information on his laptop, and, you know, I think it was just within the last couple of days, New York Times has come out and said, yes, it does appear this laptop is uh, legit. But the information on there also implicates his dad, the big guy. In a bunch of different international, you know, influence for pay type of situations. Do you think that would have made a difference? If somebody could have pointed to the fact that, uh, you know, Joe Biden as vice president was leveraging his office to to try to to uh, make money while wielding power and and especially in Ukraine and with China. But the news media sat on it. They ran stories. I think it was Politico that came right out. Well, you know, a whole bunch of Pentagon, or not Pentagon, uh, CIA experts, you know, intelligence agency people, a whole bunch of them say this is nothing but Russian disinformation. And of course, social media ruthlessly shut down any information that was coming out. I think the New York Post was really the only outlet that, uh, that had the wherewithal to, to publish the story. And their account was, first of all, suspended. And then anybody who tried to share the link, it immediately disappeared into the memory hole. Someone was making the decision, well, they can't consider this. And I'm not saying that that alone would have been enough to sway the election, but can you at least see the, the, the picture of someone is telling you, well, to be informed, you know, it's okay if you know about this, but you can't really know about that. That's a choice you and I have to make for ourselves. And, and I, I feel bad using a political example because, frankly... What TK says here about, you know, the stuff that's being thrown in our faces and shoved down our throats, that's not the information that matters the most. In fact, most of the stuff that, that really matters in our lives is stuff that never makes the news. But it's definitely a good call to, to reevaluate, okay, if I'm, I want to be informed, but what does that really mean? Informed is not just simply absorbing and then regurgitating whatever was topping, whether it's Fox News or CNN. That's not going to make you an informed person. An informed person is aware of the things that actually matter in their life. And, and guess what? A lot of that stuff has nothing to do with Washington, D.C., has nothing to do with politics, and has a lot more to do with what's happening within your own circle of influence. Isn't it curious, though, that we've been trained to see things like, well, but, you know, you know, I, I, I have to be paying attention to politics. And, and look at how the news media portrays politics. This is the most important thing happening anywhere in the world. What if it's not? What if the most important stuff that's happening in the world is stuff that the news media will never talk about? 
I know for some people that's going to sound conspiratorial. Oh, you mean like a Bigfoot? UFOs? Area 51? <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the things that are happening within the walls of your home. The things that are happening in your neighborhood or in your workplace. Maybe even it's the things that are happening within your heart. So, yeah, sorry, I, I don't mean to, to be preachy, but this one just struck such a nerve with me. And I really believe that uh, TK is onto something here. It's not a matter of, hey, man, you got to care. You, you, you can't just not care. You've got to be selective in what you care about. Why? Because each of us only has a certain amount of time every day. We only have a certain amount of moral energy that we bring to each day that we can apply to the things that are going on around us. And if we waste all that moral energy arguing with strangers on the internet or trying to go out there and, you know, bluster about this politician or that politician, how many opportunities slip through our fingers where we could actually make a difference, where we could actually understand what's going on in the world, and and more importantly, understand what we could be doing to improve the world in some way that's unique to us. I know I bang that drum a lot, but... uh, once a person taps into that, that sense of personal purpose in their life, nothing is the same afterwards. And I mean that in the very best possible way. Everything takes on more depth. Opportunities jump out at you from, from nowhere. But I think the best part about it, if, if I can just wax a little bit uh, metaphysical, is when you tap into that sense of purpose, that there is something here, there's a way that I can make a difference in the world that's uniquely my own way for doing this. You can feel yourself, I don't know what the word is, harmonize, synchronize with God. You you can feel when you are in the groove and you're doing what God put you here to do. And guess what? A lot of the things that he puts you here to do aren't things that are necessarily going to make headlines. That's okay. Because they're still going to make a difference. All right. Thus endeth the sermon, but I'm again, I just I, I have such respect for TK Coleman. This guy has got uh, a lot of wisdom. And I follow him on Twitter and uh, just find gems like this on a regular basis. I'll include a link if you're on Facebook, you can check out his Facebook post. Might even want to share it around. Be careful what you're feeding yourself in order to stay informed. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. GarageDoorProServices.com is one of my sponsors of The Brian Hyde Show. I've got a link to their website in my show notes as well as on my website, which is thebrianhydeshow.com. This is a local company to St. George, Utah, Cedar City, Utah, Mesquite, Nevada, Colorado City, Arizona. They install, they service, they repair garage doors. By the way, garage doors that are made in America, I know that's important to a lot of people, you know, shop local and and shop American-made. If you want to get get in touch with them, call 435-525-2773 or jump on their website at garagedoorproservices.com. All right, I want to try something just a little bit different. 
saw this article on uh, intellectualtakeout.org the other day. And, you know, despite the current uh, remaking of the world as some kind of uh, woke utopia where everything that came before us has to be discarded, the statues torn down, the schools and streets renamed and so forth, you'll take uh, comfort in knowing that there are some things that will never go out of style. Jordan Alexander has a marvelous article on why practical skills are still king, as well as how to learn them. He says, when my, when my parents' lawnmower broke recently, my father took apart the engine and found the problem, a broken governor shaft. And while the part for that lawnmower was no longer made, if it were, he says, my dad would have been able to single-handedly repair the mower. Similarly, he says, I have memories of my grandmother canning peaches and pickles in a steamy kitchen during the summer. She also used to pack the freezer with blueberries she grew herself. These are still tasks that she undertakes on occasion. So while freezers and riding lawnmowers didn't exist at America's founding, the hands-on practical skills involved in the above activities represent the sort of American know-how and independent attitude that built the country. However, he says this mastery of the practical is fading with each generation. In the best of times, most people don't need these skills. In the West, typically garments no longer need to be mended repeatedly. Food can easily be delivered to many places and roadside services can help change a flat tire. And as the trades decline, with many students opting for college by default, well, it's no wonder that many of these life skills are on the outs. But in a time when shortages are common, recession looms, and inflation is sky high, these skill sets seem increasingly relevant. So where can we start? Well, traditionally, these various tasks have been divided between the sexes. Now, that doesn't mean that young women shouldn't learn to repair a tire or that young men shouldn't learn to cook. Yet, as a starting place, that split can actually be helpful. So, skills for young women to learn. Now, this is just a suggestion, okay? This is not some hard ideology. This must be so. He says, as for the young ladies out there, saving garments from the trash pile is an easy and rewarding task to start with. A sweater with a hole or a shirt with a missing button are projects for an afternoon that only require some thread, a needle, scissors, and perhaps a replacement button. Personally, he says, I'm trying to learn canning and preserving. As I mentioned, it's something my grandmother did for many years, and my great-grandmother was known for her amazing pickles. A project with, more, with a more everyday application is cooking or baking. Ample free recipes and cooking tutorials are available online to follow, to follow along with. Eventually, the recipes will accumulate to a repertoire of meals fit for all occasions. By the way, you can thank Pinterest for, <laughs> for making that, you know, so much easier than it used to be. Skills for young men to learn? Well, Jordan Alexander says, For men, a practical yet simple task is to, to start with is changing a car's oil. Not only will this save money, but it's also a job that can be done in an hour or two, and the only needed supplies are a bin to catch the dirty oil, some rags, and the correct kind of clean oil for the car. Now, just as an aside, my son David tried this uh, for the first time just a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, he uh, he watched the videos online to, to learn how to do it, but uh, he changed the oil in his Honda by himself. And I know people are like, well, big deal. You know, I've been changing my oil for years. But here's what I saw that, that made me go, you know, this is really a good thing. I saw the sense of empowerment that it gave him. And, and I mean, he, he was like, he was beaming. He was just like, that was cool. It was so cool to, to know that I can do this. I'm not dependent on 
you know, going to, to the oil change place and, and waiting for them to take care of it for me. I can do this myself, which inspired him to start looking at some other things. Okay, I've got a headlight that's kind of been on the fritz. Let me see what I can do to fix that. See, it's kind of a contagious thing. You learn that, uh, okay, these things look hard just because I don't understand them, but when you dig in and you start doing them, you learn. Now, Jordan Alexander also says reading up on how internal combustion engines work will offer troves of information that can be applied the next time the lawnmower breaks or learning to replace a broken light switch could serve as an introduction to basic electrical work. And just like the skills for young women, he says these tasks are very rewarding. There's nothing quite like the satisfaction from hands-on work and a job well done. So how can we learn these skills? Well, this is the good part. Today's age is filled with ways to learn new skills. There's a plethora of online tutorials on how to mend clothing, change a car's oil, or even cook a simple recipe. Plus, a local library likely contains books on cooking, engines, or home repair. But perhaps the best way is to find someone who can teach. Not only is this the perfect opportunity to learn something new, but it's also a great way to connect with parents and grandparents and some older people from the community, perhaps. He says, my father started learning his mechanic skills growing up by watching his grandfather in the garage, though neither of them is a mechanic by trade. Meanwhile, he says, both my grandmothers are competent sewers, and I learned to sew by working on projects with each of them. So if you have a hands-on skill or you know a trade, offer to teach someone who may be interested. Show your friends and family how to fix something around the house or how to cook your signature dish or to replace that button. And for those of us ready to pick up these skills, let's pick one to start with and find a way to learn it. Once, nearly every American knew at least a few of these. Along the way, we'll not only brace for hard times and save some money, but also impress our friends and family and live up to the tradition of American know-how. Now again, I'm, <clears throat> I'm probably the one who needed that message more than anybody. But I think that is, is a really empowering message. You know, if you're feeling anxious about things, well, you know, pick up a skill, learn how to do things for yourself. Self-sufficiency, I think, is terribly underrated. And the peace of mind and the satisfaction that it brings, and by the way, when I say satisfaction, I don't mean the smugness. It's not like, well, <laughs> you're not, this is not the IT guy leering at you with, well, <laughs> of course, you didn't understand that you just had to write this piece of code and then your computer would fix itself. No, this is... This is legitimately being able to handle your own stuff. Now, I've been very blessed in that uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a handy person. There are some things that I have ventured to learn how to do and, and sometimes even succeeded. But uh, look, I'll admit it. I'm a big scaredy cat when it comes to tearing something apart, fixing something like that. I, the, the fear of I'm going to destroy this is sometimes stronger than my curiosity of I can learn this. I got to get over that. But I do have the deepest admiration for those people who are, and, and I'm not trying to be sexist when I say this, Renaissance men of sorts who basically can handle anything. They can weld. They can build. They can fix. They can repair. They can fabricate. They know how to do these things because they were willing to get in there, get their hands dirty, and just figure it out. Now, the crazy thing is, they probably didn't start out, you know, just they didn't have a natural knack for it. And it was as, you know, as easy as, uh, as you know, dropping a fish into water. Well, okay, now learn how to swim. They had to go through a learning process. That's, there's, there's no shortcut for that. 
But the key is they did it. And thank goodness for people who can do that. Like I say, that's that's high on my list of self-improvement is I've got to be that guy more often. And once in a while, I take a chance and surprise myself by finding out, hey, I actually can do this. But those practical skills, you know, the best part about it is once you learn it, once you understand how it's done, that's something you own. Nobody can take that away from you. They can't tax you on it yet for knowing how how to change your own oil or whatever. Just a little something you might want to sock away if you're feeling like, uh, man, I wish I had some sort of empowerment. Well, here's a way to empower yourself. And it's right there under your nose. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Quick shout out here to HSLAmmo.com, MonticelloCollege.org, and also LifesavingFood.com. I do appreciate their sponsorship. If you go to my website, TheBrianHydeShow.com, you'll find links that will take you to each of my sponsors. Please consider whether or not you need their product or service, or if you don't, maybe recommend somebody who does, and make sure that they know when you do business with these with these companies, that you heard about it here on this program. Well, I, uh, I don't spend a lot of time watching the news, but I kind of wish I had watched the press conference that uh, happened on Tuesday when uh, multiple reporters asked Dr. Anthony Fauci questions about the origins of COVID-19 and related investigations. Now, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to spend a lot of time just hating on people, but... I'll confess, Dr. Fauci is, to me, one of the most despicable figures in Washington, D.C., and there's a lot of despicable people that, uh, that operate in that Beltway environment. But what's really interesting is how, as reporters started asking Dr. Fauci questions about the origins of COVID-19, White House Pre- Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre tried to shut down the discussion. I mean, she jumped right in the middle of it. In fact, I'll, uh, I'll let me just play the, the clip for you. You can, you can hear it for yourself. About this. Dr. Fauci, only 13% of... Hold on one second. We have a process here. I'm not calling out on people who yell. And you're being, you're being, you're being disrespectful to your colleagues, and you're being disrespectful to our guests. I will not call on you if you yell. And also, you're taking time off the clock because Dr. Fauci has to leave in a couple of minutes. I ba- I'm done. I'm not going. I'm not getting into a back and forth with you. Go ahead, Jeremy. Thanks. Dr. Fauci, um, but, but she's only only thirty good questions. You question. You should allow her to ask some questions. Jeremy, Jeremy, it's Jeremy. It is not. It is not your turn. It is not your turn. You can't. You can't read the press briefing. You need to call from people like. Across the room, she has a valid question. She's asking about the origin of COVID. I hear the question. Dr. Fauci is the best person. I, to I hear that. your question, but we're not doing this the way you want it. This is the disrespectful. It is. I'm done, Simon. I'm done. I'm Simon. I'm done. I'm done with you right now. Wow! 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 Please let that be the wheels coming off the bus of uh, the COVID-19 narrative. 
I'm glad to see that there are reporters actually act- acting like reporters and, and asking some of these questions. But, you know, the sad thing is Dr. Fauci only ended up answering about three questions, including one about House Republicans taking the majority in Congress and potentially investigating him. And, you know, he called on people to get updated, to uh, get their uh, COVID-19 booster shots. By the way, and this is such a seamless segue into if you haven't had a chance to watch the uh, film Died Suddenly, whoo. I would, uh, I'd recommend take a peek at it. It's a little bit over an hour. You can find it for free. Just, uh, you can, you can, I don't know if Google is, you know, trying to throttle back <laughs> the, the access to it, but on Twitter, you can actually watch the entire film. I think Stu Peters is, is the one who helped to, to produce this and bring this up. Very interesting stuff. But I do want to see these investigations continue. I want to see, I want to see Dr. Fauci, among others, held to accountability for whatever, you know, role they may have played in either funding the research or in uh, in exploiting the release. And, and it's looking more and more like a lab leak kind of uh, scenario for that COVID-19 virus. Anyhow, I'm going to shift gears here. Let's uh, let's talk for a moment uh, about uh, about the, the path to control. This is a great article from Josh Stileman. This was published on the Brownstone Institute's page. From COVID to CBDC, the path to full control. He says, it seemed evident for a while that the current fiat monetary system is at best unstable. At worst, it's a Ponzi scheme whose time has expired. If that's the case, then he says, I suspect the central bankers and the 0.1% know this and might be prepared to usher in a new system before the old one collapses on itself even as they loot it on the way down with the most significant wealth transfer in human history. In fact, he says to anyone who pays attention to these trends, it seems evident that central bank digital currency or CBDC will be that new system. Every indication is that CBDC's arrival is imminent. Yesterday, several global banks announced a partnership with the New York Federal Reserve to pilot digital dollars. Given the ubiquity of credit and debit cards, payment apps, and other online payment systems, digital money has been bound to happen for some time. But the risk isn't the electronic part. That's inevitable. It's the fact that a central bank will oversee the digital currency. Now He says, from my vantage point, it's impossible to overstate the risk presented by CBDC. Whether it's a utopian vision based on good intentions or a sinister plot to crush our sovereignty. The result may be the same. Control. A central bank digital currency has all the downsides of fiat money, plus the added layers of surveillance and programmability overseen by the state. Now, he says so many people on Team Reality have likely felt like dissidents over the last few years simply for challenging anything beyond the herd mentality. Asking questions or speaking against the narrative about topics, including the likely origins of the COVID virus or the usefulness of PCR, risk to most of the population, benefits of early treatment, advantages of natural immunity, safety and efficacy of vaccines, pros and cons of masks and lockdowns, and the utility of vax passports, created an environment where people were stigmatized, alienated, or outright censored. Now imagine a monetary system with features baked in to socially engineer how we live. For example, health. You didn't take your booster. Sorry, you're not allowed in public spaces. Energy. You used your energy allotment this month. Sorry, your electric car won't start. Food. You ate too much meat this week. Sorry, your money is only good for plants or bugs. 
savings. If you don't take your rations soon, sorry, your money will expire at the end of the month. Free speech. You shared info that we disagree with. Sorry, our algorithm is fining you. By the way, do you remember PayPal actually kind of tipped their hand that they would be looking at something like this? So if the CBDC ultimately becomes the new monetary system, its core features will make it so that world governments no longer need something like a global health crisis to print money or close society. Lines of code can shape our behavior and ensure we're forced to stay home. The entire platform will be designed to expel labor that's no longer deemed necessary. And he says, while I initially believed the state-led pharmacological interventions were an isolated acute threat in this era, it's become evident they were simply one tentacle in a much larger beast. Whatever dark forces are insinuating this direction on the world, looking your way, Davos, it's revealed to be, it's revealed itself rather to be unrelenting in its pursuit of perpetuating fear and power. Now, he comes right out and says, look, I'm aware that this must sound insane, especially to anyone that hasn't paid attention to this trend for a while. But he says, a few years ago, I would have thought it was preposterous. But after witnessing the government's lies, deception and grab for control, I've become fearful that this may be where we're headed. When you consider that vaccine mandates had no medically justifiable purpose, it's entirely plausible that they were simply an on-ramp to normalize a papers, please society. In New York City, where he says he lived until recently, most people accepted Vaxports and loved the Excelsior Pass mobile app because it was convenient. How many will feel the same about digital money, which will undoubtedly come with its share of benefits? Central bank digital currency will enable governments to impose top-down control, a la the Chinese social credit score. Some central bankers are even saying the quiet part out loud. Now, whether or not this is the program's objective, has there ever been a time in history when governments rejected the power that they're given? At this stage, this isn't some tinfoil hat theorizing either. There are already many examples of how this type of finance-driven coercion is already underway. And he lists off a number of these. Uh, now the government's asking people to apply for a plastic My Number card equipped with microchips and photos to be linked to driver's licenses and the public health insurance plans. Health insurance cards now in use which lack photos will be discontinued in late 2024 and people will be required to use My Number cards instead. Now, skipping ahead, he says, look, this is just the tip of the iceberg. He gives like four or five different examples. But as we saw with the lockdowns, this is global. China is the model emulated in the West like the creep toward health-related authoritarian measures unelected globalists with financial interests lurk in the background. He says, I would love to be wrong about all of this. However, until there's evidence, we need to be suspicious of anyone perpetuating this dangerous path regardless of their motivations. And here he actually recommends a number of different essays that talk about uh, long COVID monetary policy, the relationship between the monetary system and COVID, and, and several others. Now he says, if you have yet to notice, a primary theme of the last three years at least is freedom versus control. So it's not hyperbole to suggest that the future must be decentralized if we want our children to grow up in a free world. Again, this is Josh Stileman and a piece published on the uh, Brownstone Institute website, brownstone.org. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying hard not to, to talk about this in a way that, uh, you know, gets people anxious or fearful. But if you're going to pick something to really uh, pay attention to and not be caught by surprise, that central bank digital currency stuff, that's definitely worth keeping your eye on. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. All right, I'm, I, I want to offer some hope. I know we talked about a few heavy topics today. And I feel the weight of, of what we're facing as well. You know, it's like, how, how can you, if, if, a, if a global currency, if some kind of digital currency is imposed and it comes complete with social credit scores and so forth, how can I continue to live as a free person when every dime that comes in or out of my hands is being tracked, taxed, you know, otherwise uh, it's predicated on how is my obedience to whoever is in power? That's a pretty daunting reality that is is starting to appear right before our eyes. Well, I want you to remember that the key to being able to maintain your rights in a time of growing centralized control can actually be summed up in four simple words. Be prepared, not scared. Now, Dr. Robert Malone on his uh, Substack account, rwmalonemd, substack.com, shares an essay by Jer in America that's exactly on this topic. Dr. Malone, you know, puts, he says, you know, Jer in America is a pseudonym used by a friend and a colleague who lives in the Rocky Mountain region of the U.S., a modest private person who generally keeps his prepper side as well as his personal religious convictions to himself. Dr. Malone says, once upon a time, not so long ago, people in the United States and Canada took an active interest in preparing for an uncertain future of intermittent scarcity and disruptions in food and other key supplies. In other words, preppers, they were considered to be somewhat uh, odd, kind of a fringe group from the mainstream of America. But like so many things that have been transformed during the COVID crisis, so many conspiracies that have turned out to be true The previously fringe prepper movement has increasingly become mainstream. And he says, knowing that many leading indicators are pointing towards supply chain disruptions in food and fuel this winter, both here in North America and throughout Europe and much of the rest of the world, and that many of our readers are interested in how to prepare for an uncertain future. Dr. Malone says, I asked Jer to write an essay in which he would share more of his personal practices and worldview. And he says, I hope you enjoy learning more about the way that he approaches life and prepares to protect his family in the Rocky Mountains and that you and I will both learn from his insights and experience. If you like what he has to share, maybe I can convince him to write another, uh, to write more rather about his approach to life in the Rockies. So Jerry in America says, beginning with the outcome of the 2020 election, events of the past two and a half years caused a sudden paradigm shift within me. By the way, I bet he's not alone. The blessing of being surrounded in very close proximity by very like-minded ex-military brethren who love and fear God as well as family, friends, country, community, and the U.S. Constitution allowed me to make some very proactive and intentional decisions on resources my family would need in the near future. At first, he says, I thought to myself, am I overreacting? Having a knee-jerk reaction here, is this really necessary? I mean, after all, God said he would provide for all my needs. Some of these friends confessed that they had already been doing serious prepping for 10 years. And he says, I thought, good grief, I need to get going. I want to catch up. I pressed in and prayed hard and asked God to reveal to me if this was his will for us. 
And he says, the answer came back a very clear yes. Trust me ultimately for everything. And you know, this is not your real home here on earth. But these decisions you make to invest in these resources also require faith. And I want you to be engaged. Times are going to get tougher in the world, even for those I call my own or something like that. And so Jared says, I started making a series of significant purchases. And each time more and more cool stuff arrived at the house, it started giving me some peace of mind, a quiet confidence in a new kind of purpose. And I wasn't even thinking about my own family. I thought, since God can bless me, I can bless and share with others and pay it forward when I'm led to do so. Okay, I got to tap the brakes here for a second. That is a healthy attitude toward prepping. And it's something that I I discovered after being a prepper for a long time and, you know, practicing the principles of personal preparedness. But to be in a position where you can actually help your neighbors or others, you know, strangers who who happen to come into your life. And and again, I'm, I'm not trying to drag you kicking and screaming, you know, to Sunday school here, but I really believe that there are times when when God puts people in our lives, our paths are allowed to cross with other people. And sometimes it's, it's our opportunity to serve them or to bless them in some way that, that we have been prepared to do so. It's a marvelous feeling to know that, uh, that, you know what, God's hand was in this. Okay, back to the article. Fast forward to today, Jer says, and I thought I would share with you some of my prepping tips. Now, he says, I would surmise that many of you reading this have already pulled the trigger on some of your own preparedness plans. And good for you. Some may say if you haven't already started, well, it's too late. But he says, I partially disagree. It's never too late. And while you may experience delays in getting stuff because of the supply chain debacle, start today if you've thought about this, but haven't executed your plan and pulled the trigger. Now, if your spouse or significant other is not totally on board, talk to each other with patience and respect. Pray about it. Avoid the emotions and stick with the practicality of how these resources can indeed come in handy. He says, I had to do the same with my wife, and we grew closer because of it. In fact, uh, he links to a short webinar that he says they watched together early on, and they totally got it. He says, if diesel production soon ceases or is shut down, we're all going to be up a creek. In this article, he says, I'm just going to focus on two critical categories, emergency food and backup power generation in the event of power outages and rolling blackouts for your home and property. Now, there are other prepping categories like guns and ammo. I could delve into more details, but not this time. So from here, he goes into the emergency food supply. And I'm I'm not going to give you all the details here. I'll just touch on some of the things. But he says, I would recommend having six to 12 months of long shelf life meals for your family. Now, he talks about a particular supplier saying their buckets have a 25-year shelf life. I'm going to point you towards lifesavingfood.com just because I know that they can say the same. They're my sponsor, but a little pricey, but worth it. They also have great promotions and specials and discounts. And the boxes are shipped plain, unmarked, discreet boxes. That's good. He says, I would still recommend being home to take receipt the day they arrive if you don't work from home, for instance, especially if there's any history of thieves stealing packages off people's porches in your neighborhood. Azure Standard, by the way, is another one that he recommends. Their delivery concept is quite unique. They use small trucking companies or independent truckers and have prearranged drop-off points in your zip code where the driver's delivered to and you can go pick it up. 
And after watching the Canadian truckers protest or freedom convoy movement that began in January, who doesn't love and appreciate our over-the-road truck drivers? But he says a word of caution, after receiving and storing any emergency food supply, be careful who you share this exciting news with. Now they know where you live and where to go if they're starving. Now, that's not contrary to the idea, but I thought you said he was going to help people. Yes, you can. But there's a difference between helping people who are perhaps led to you versus those who feel entitled. Well, I know you have something, so I'm going to come and take it away from you. Here he talks about hydroponics as well as, uh, uh, now he lives at like 7,500 feet above sea level, so there are some things you have to consider if you're growing food in high altitude locations. He talks about seeds and how to grow potatoes in five-gallon buckets. And the hydroponics part was really interesting. And when he talked about it, you know, well, you get a uh, grow light from Home Depot, and I thought, you know, I wonder if that attracts attention from the police. Oh, a grow light, huh? Got to grow a little wacky wacky there. Nope, this is, this is for the hydroponic setup. Fascinating stuff. And he links to a couple of great articles about growing potatoes in five-gallon buckets. Now, if you may say, well, potatoes are pretty blah, but I'm telling you, it's a very versatile food. It's satisfying. It's I think, I think the term is satiating. You eat a potato, you are going to be full. It has lots of good uh, nutrients and vitamins. They're really good for you. He also goes into backup power generation and gives you a nice little crash course on what you can do to get yourself set up to, to have, you know, a generator and how to properly and safely get it installed to interface with your home. Now, he touches a little bit on firearms and ammunition, but um, the bottom line is there's so much information. It's going to feel like you're drinking from a fire hose. But he says, just take a deep breath and go for it. You're going to be fine. He says, I'm anxious to read everyone's questions and comments after Dr. Malone posts this on Substack, so I'll look for those And he leaves us with a quote from George Patton, General George Patton. Prepare for the unknown by studying how others in the past have coped with the unforeseeable and the unpredictable. Yeah, believe it or not, there are historical examples of people who've done this. And we can learn from them. But the key is, if you've been thinking, yeah, we probably ought to get started at some point. There is no better time than starting today. And it can start with something very simple. But the key is to get started, build momentum, do it consistently, and then watch as your peace of mind grows in relation to your stores of food, water, and other preparedness supplies. This is The Brian Hyde Show.